morning. Join with me in prayer, will you? Father, we heed the warning of your word that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We hear James say that not many of us should seek to teach because those of us who teach will be held to a stricter judgment. Think about the wisdom of restraining our tongues, and Father, I'm humbled by that because of the task before me. I pray that you would help me to speak in such a way that Jesus is glorified, that your word is upheld and shown to be such a rich resource for living our lives under the lordship of Jesus. And so draw us to your word now. And I I pray that you would speak to us through it for your honor and glory reflected in our lives as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been uh, for several weeks now in the book of Proverbs. I hope you are enjoying the book of Proverbs. I hope you have taken me up on the little challenge of reading a chapter a day in Proverbs. Whatever else you may be doing in your devotional life, just add a couple minutes by reading the chapter in Proverbs that corresponds to the date of the month that that you're on. And uh, I think you'll find a richness there. We began the series by looking at the wise man and the fool, recognizing that we all start out as, as the simple ones, the inexperienced ones, and we come to a point where we hear the call of both wisdom and folly, both call out to the simple, and the one we respond to will determine the path that we walk, whether it's a path of wisdom or a path of folly. And we recognize that we don't just make that decision once, we make that decision daily. Daily we choose the way of wisdom or the way of folly. From there we began looking at various aspects of our lives and we considered, first of all, wisdom for the eyes. And we talked about uh, the idea that we are our travelers and uh, that we need to focus singly on our destination, which is heaven. And we got a little bit of help from Asher, who came up here and and showed us how difficult it is to walk in one direction while you are looking in another. And so we want to keep our eyes straight ahead on the path and not wander from it. Then we considered wisdom for the ears. Um, And uh, we saw that we can choose to look at the words of others spoken to us, whether spoken kindly or unkindly, uh, as gifts from God to help shape us into the likeness of his son. Sometimes those gifts are poorly wrapped, uh, but we can trust God and listen for his voice even in words that are poorly wrapped. The first duty of the wise is to listen. So today, we want to consider the tongue. Have you ever had your tongue get you into trouble? Uh, I think we all can attest to 
that having happened in our lives. I know I can. I took Spanish in high school and college, and I have always tried to speak it without an American accent. That gets me into trouble because the person who I'm talking to assumes that I, I must know it pretty well uh, since I'm not bringing this accent into it. And so I get an answer in Spanish and at full tempo. And, and I'm always having to say, you know, could you please repeat yourself slowly? Uh, I, I'm not very good at understanding this. Uh, sometimes my attempt to speak to people in their language has gotten me into trouble because I've said the wrong thing. I was in Spain a number of years ago on a subway, and a woman came on board, and uh, there was no place for her to sit. And so, trying to be a gentleman, got up and offered her my seat. But I failed to recognize uh, the difference in, in two words. Um, sentar is to sit. Sentir, in Spanish speakers, is to feel. And so I asked her if she would like to feel, and uh, she didn't slap me. She, uh, she saw what I was trying to do and smiled and, and took the seat. Grateful. I've got a friend who was a missionary in Venezuela, and he was studying Spanish by immersion in, in the culture where he would get nothing but Spanish all day long. And so he and his wife went to a restaurant uh, where he was going to order tea. And so this, this server was there, and instead of saying, quiero te, he said to her, te quiero. Uh, yeah. Basically, instead of saying, I want tea, he's saying, I love you. Uh, so he and his wife were able to sort of um, get past that. Another friend of mine I, I was in Guatemala with, and we had just attended the service of this church that we'd been helping out with, and we were on our way out the door with the elders walking to someplace, I can't recall where, but my friend wanted to tell the elders how much he enjoyed the service, and the word for service is servicio. Instead of saying he liked the service, he said, me gusta la cerveza, which means I like beer. And the elders were a little flabbergasted. They weren't quite sure what he was asking to do. <clears throat> Our words can tell a lot about us. You can often tell, for instance, uh, what part of the country someone is from just by talking to them for a couple of minutes, right? Uh, I, I live in Wausau, and uh, we're pretty close to the Northwoods, and there is definitely a Northwoods accent. And uh, I remember once having Lyman Coleman in to do a seminar in the church in Wausau. Lyman Coleman was the, uh, the originator of serendipity Bible studies. And so we were trying to really get small groups going. And so we brought him in uh, and invited other churches to join us in this and have him uh, conduct a seminar that went all day. Well, Lyman is from the deep south, deep, deep south. And uh, the caterer who was providing lunch had this incredible Northwoods accent. And so when she came out to talk to me about some details about the lunch, we were interacting a bit, and then she 
went back into the kitchen, and Lyman looked at me and said, Ken, what was that? <laughs> he just couldn't make any sense of what she had said. You can tell a lot about a person. More deeply, you can tell a lot about what's inside a person by what comes out of their mouth. I think Scripture makes that point repeatedly and certainly does in the book of Proverbs. Words betray the condition of our heart. My office for the first 10 years of my ministry was in a union hall right across the hallway from the bar. And so I would hear all kinds of very interesting talk uh, from people that I encountered there. Some people tried to dress their language up in my presence, but catch them by surprise and something interesting would always pop out. It revealed the condition of their hearts. C.S. Lewis said, you may have rats in your cellar, but you'll never see them if you make enough racket going down the stairs before you turn on the light. If, though, you quietly go down there and turn on the light, you'll see them. Take them by surprise, and they'll be there. What comes out of your mouth in one of those surprise moments? What comes out of your mouth when you hit your thumb with a hammer? Uh, what comes out of your mouth will betray something deeper. It'll betray the condition of your heart. So what's needed is not simply a change of words. What's needed is a change of heart. That's where it's got to start. There is a connection between the heart and the mouth. And the book of Proverbs points that out. The condition of your heart will show up in the things that you say. Chapter 10, verse 20 says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Do you see the parallelism there? The heart is being compared with the tongue. Uh, they, they counterbalance one another in that verse. It's a balanced equation. And what the tongue speaks shows the condition of the heart. In chapter 4, verse 23 uh, Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What comes out of us reflects what's deep in us. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, made it very clear. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's what's inside of us that comes out through our speech. So our words tell a lot about us. They tell about our inner condition. But the other thing we need to see before we launch into some, some uh, understanding of this, this idea of, of the tongue through Proverbs is that our words have consequences. Chapter 25, verse 23 says, As a north wind brings rain, so a sly tongue brings angry looks. It's, it's the product of Angry, uh, a sly tongue, these angry looks, just as much as a north wind will bring rain. There are consequences. Our words can wound or they can heal. Our words can build or they can destroy. Our words can calm 
or they can upset. Our words can soothe or they can provoke. All of those things from the same mouth. It's like James was saying, one spring seems to be able to produce both fresh water and salt water. We should have consistency in terms of how we speak. And our words not only will have consequences, they will come back to us every time. Chapter 18, verses 20 and 21 says this, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. What are its fruits? They are the results of our words, the consequences of our words. We will experience those ourselves. My dad used to say, Lord, make my words sweet and tender, for I may have to eat them tomorrow. Uh, That was a bit of wisdom from my dad. There are at least 87 verses in Proverbs that tell us how to use our tongue. Obviously, it's a very important subject here in the book of Proverbs. So I've gone through Proverbs and I've tried to pull some thoughts together regarding our use of the tongue. And what I've come to see in Proverbs is that words are like tools. They're basically neutral. Tools can produce a a beautiful work of art. Tools can also be used to destroy. How we use the tools is what makes all the difference. And so, three ideas this morning I want to get across. They're printed in your program. No no great surprises here. Um, Select your tools carefully. Employ your tools honestly. And use your tools constructively. Those three. First, select your tools carefully. A few pointers in terms of selection. First, think through your selection. Have you ever stood in front of your toolbox and said, what did I come here for? You feel really dumb doing it, but it's better than just grabbing the first tool you find, right? You, you want to take some time to choose carefully. Think through your selection. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. To to answer without really hearing, without really understanding, is just to grab the first tool you find in the toolbox without thinking through the selection. It really ties in with last week's message on the ears. The first duty of the wise is to listen. We listen, we choose the response, and then we give the response Chapter 29, verse 20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. These are people who haven't selected their tools carefully. And the solution is found in chapter 15, verse 28, where it says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So there's that balance of heart and mouth again. The mouth shows what is in the heart, but it is the heart of the righteous one, the heart of the wise one that ponders how to answer. Again, it's a matter of the heart. Fix the heart, and you'll find you have fixed the tongue. 
The only one who can fix hearts is the Lord Jesus. So it's not a matter of just trying on our own effort to fix our tongue. It's a matter of turning to Jesus and asking him to fix our heart. And if you haven't put your trust in him, I would invite you to do that before you leave here today. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God said, I will remove from you your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That is what Jesus can do. Take the hard heart out of us and replace it with a soft one, one that is responsive to him. And out of that, then, we can speak things that are helpful and edifying. So think through your selection of words. It'll save you a lot of fixing up from the damage you might do when you grab the wrong tool. Think through your selection. Next, pick what's right for the job. Somebody once wisely said, if your only tool is a hammer, you will tend to treat everything as though it were a nail. Uh, The idea of, of one tool doing it all just doesn't quite work. I used to think there were, there were two types of screwdriver, uh, flat tip and Phillips head, right? Just two? Not so. I, I bought a mobile home a number of years ago and found that you know, my flat tip screwdriver was useless and my Phillips head screwdriver was next to useless. And I finally asked a neighbor, what is it with these things? He said, you need a box end screwdriver. Never heard of one, but it's a little square end that fits right in there, and it does a really nice job uh, if you've got the right tool. Ask yourself, what is the appropriate tool for the conversation that I'm in right now? Chapter 15, verse 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. It's a really good thing to have the right tool. Chapter 15, verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Pick the right tool. Ponder how to answer. And once you've found the appropriate tool, make sure it's the right size. An X-Acto knife and a chainsaw can both cut things, but you want to think about the kind of cutting you want to do. Proverbs 25.15 says, a soft tongue will break a bone. You don't need excessive force. I'm sure we've all experienced what it is to be blown away by what somebody has said to us when a soft answer would have been so much more effective. A soft answer would have led us to see what this person was saying as an investment in our lives, an investment in a relationship rather than a severing of a relationship. So pick what's right for the job and then finally pick only the ones you need. There is no sense lugging around a bunch of tools you don't need when you're going into a job. Picture someone going into the living room to hang a picture and and he's carrying a chainsaw and a sledgehammer and a blowtorch and a tire iron. He's just got a lot of stuff that he doesn't need. And the trouble is when you've got a lot of stuff you don't need, you might be inclined to use it. Chapter 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 
There is wisdom in restraint. Chapter 17, verses 27 and 28 says this, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said, It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. Uh, Good word. Uh, Select your tools carefully. And then employ your tools honestly. Employ them honestly. Employ them only as the manufacturer intended. What are some things that God, our manufacturer, never intended for our words? Well, he never intended for us to use lies. Never intended for lies to come out of our mouths. Where do lies come from? They come from Satan, who is the father of lies. We can employ our words honestly by speaking truthfully. Chapter 8, verse 8 says, All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. No deceit, no lies. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 25 says, A truthful witness saves lives, but the one who breathes out lies is deceitful. God never intended us to use lies. He never intended us to use flattery. Flattery is insincere praise intended to advance your own interests. Chapter 28, verse 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Living Bible put it this way, In the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. They may not appreciate it in the moment, but God's word assures us afterwards they will. You can encourage without flattery. You can encourage without dishonesty. Um, I, at the close of a service, uh, hang out up here, and people know where to find me. You can find me if you want to pray or if you want to ask me something. I, I tend to avoid the back door. Um, and, and the reason why is I feel people are obligated to say nice sermon in order to uh, be able to pass through those doors. You know, it's kind of like a toll gate. You say nice sermon and the toll gate goes up and you can go through and it comes back down for the next person. So in one church where I was preaching for a while, um, they asked me to stand at the back. And I said, you know, I, I'd rather not do that. And they said, it's, it's what we do here. I go, oh. all right. So I stood at the back door, and sure enough, it was like the toll gate. You know, they come by, nice sermon. You know, the gate goes up, they go through, next one, nice sermon. And so finally, this one guy goes, I like your tie. I thought, praise God, there's an honest man here. This is good. This is good. And on my way home, Tina and I were talking about it. I was trying to imagine the conversation between him and his wife as they were advancing down the aisle toward the back door. You know, what, what are people saying to him back there? Well, they're telling him nice sermon. I, I didn't like his sermon. Well, tell him you like your, his tie. You know? And so you, you can give praise without being flattering and without uh, being dishonest. 
Another thing that our manufacturer never intended to come out of our mouths is malicious words. And I think the basic rule here is that we ought not talk about someone except in love. Don't talk about someone except in love. What types of malicious words might we fall into? One is gossip. That's, that's what the Bible calls malicious words. Uh, chapter 16, verse 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, or other versions use the word a gossip, separates close friends. Damage happens in relationships when people gossip. Uh, a friend of mine shared a tool uh, a long time ago that actually I, I shared here once before when I came here in January to preach before you decided to invite me here. I shared this tool. My friend calls it the everlasting gossip stopper. It's, it's a wonderful little tool. When somebody talks to you about somebody else, you employ the everlasting gossip stopper. It goes like this. You go, whoa, hands up, whoa. And then you do like your computer does when it's processing. You go, wait a minute. And then you say, you need to talk to him. So great little tool. Whoa, wait a minute. You need to talk to him. I shared the everlasting gossip stopper at the church I served uh, before coming here. And it was hilarious to see people out in the foyer uh, doing this, you know, uh, and... uh, just a great little tool, and it, uh, it in, in, I think, a, a not harsh way, redirects somebody to do the right thing. Another form of malicious words is slander. It's a step beyond gossip. It's not just circulating news, it's maligning character. Chapter 10, verse 18 says, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. And remember, a fool in Proverbs isn't someone with a low IQ. A fool in Proverbs is someone with a flawed character. And slander is evidence of that. Another form of malicious words is repeating a matter instead of just letting it die. Chapter 17, verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. If you just cover it, just, just put a lid on it and let it die out. You'll be doing a tremendous service. But if you go on repeating a matter instead of letting it die, you'll have a harmful effect and separate close friends. There's damage done when we use malicious words. So select your tools carefully. Employ your tools honestly. Point three, use your tools constructively. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build one another up. Uh, The word is edify. Uh, We're we're in the construction business. We're building an edifice. We're we're building something up. So there are a few things that our words should be. One is constructive. They should be constructive instead of destructive. Proverbs 11.9 says, With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. That's not constructive. That's destructive. Chapter 11, verse 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted and is built up. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. It's just knocked down. 
Our words should be constructive. They should also be soothing. 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see the contrast? You can run somebody through with your words, or you can bring healing to their lives. They should be soothing and healing. Chapter 15, verse 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. What a picture of, of a lush tree that gives life. But perverseness in it, in the tongue, that is, breaks the spirit. Or 16.24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Our words can be soothing. They, they should also be wholesome. Chapter 4, verse 24 says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. The NIV says this, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Our words should be wholesome. One more characteristic, they should be inviting. Chapter 15, verse 2 says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. NIV, or New Living puts it this way, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. It, it invites people to step deeper into the wisdom of God. Not only do we need to use our words constructively, we also need to use them with great care I know of no other sin in the church more popular than the misuse of the tongue. You know, we gossip about people in the name of sharing concerns or prayer requests. We say harsh and, and damaging things with the excuse of we're just stating our convictions. We need to use our words very carefully. Every year, thousands of acres are lost to wildfires. This year alone in California, two and a half million acres have been destroyed. We regularly hear warnings to be careful with fire. One careless act can set thousands of acres ablaze. What does James say about the tongue? He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. We need wisdom in the use of our tongue. And God's word shows us how we can have it. Now, what do we do with a message like this? You know, if I were to come up to you next week and ask you for the three points that I mentioned, I would not expect any of you to be able to recite those. And it's really not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to draw us closer to God through his word to see the richness that is there for us to feast on and then to seek to live his word out as we seek to live our lives under the Lordship of Christ. We need to be wise enough to feast on the wisdom of God through his word and gain practical insight there. We all have choices to make in terms of the words that we will use. 
And my prayer is that what comes out of our mouths will reflect hearts that love the Lord, that desire to be used of him as we consecrate every part of our body to him, to his glory, and to the building of his kingdom. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, you have given us uh, an amazing tool in, in the tongue that you have placed in each of our mouths. And with that tool, we can do great good and we can do great harm. And so, Father, I pray for the sake of your reputation, that as your children, we would employ our tongues well in the cause of Christ and for your glory. In his name, amen.